Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I feel uh, compelled to address this Kristen Cinema leaving, in quotation marks, the Democrat Socialist to be an independent member of the United States Senate because, well, it's a scam. Really? Do Cinema, tell. Cinema is a scam. Uh, how many times do we have to go down this road? And it's the same thing with Republicans you know, calling on Joe Manchin to leave his party and join us. Um yeah, because what the Republican Party needs is more Mitt Romney's in the caucus. Uh-huh. I, I feel compelled. I th- would think this would be obvious by now, but I guess given the uh, responses from some Republicans celebrating her decision, Marsha Blackburn, who I otherwise like from Tennessee, was one of them, and um, the interviews, uh, the, the D.C. press corps running to, you know— scrutinize and help us understand like Jake Tapper did. Uh, here was uh, Senator Cinema, who is uh, bisexual and bipolitical now, uh, explaining <laughs> her decision. When you look at your voting record and the issues that are important to you as spelled out on your website, most of them are traditional Democratic issues, capital, capital D, uh, expanding health care access, uh, abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, um, path for dreamers, and on and on, uh, environmentalism, uh, green energy. That sounds like a Democrat to me, no? Well, I know this is really hard for lots of folks, especially in D.C., but what's important to me is to not be, to not be tethered by the partisanship that dominates politics today. And I think Americans are tired of it. I think Arizonans are tired of it. What I'm interested in is working on all those issues that you just mentioned that I care deeply about and that I believe my constituents care deeply about. But I want to work on them in a way that is productive, that is free from the trappings of the pull of the political system. You know, the national political parties have pulled our politics farther to the edges than I've ever seen. I want to remove some of that, kind of that poison from our politics. I want to get back to actually just working on the issues, working together to try and solve these challenges. Mm, So earnest. She's untethered. I agree with her about that, but not in the way that she means it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Does anybody still fall for this post-partisan can't? I mean, honestly, does anybody fall for this? Uh, eight years of Obama being postpartisan, 
wasn't enough for you? Watching George Will and uh, the late, great Charles Krauthammer be hoodwinked by Barack Obama, writing about it in 2008, writing about how credulous they were. Uh, 15 years later, we still don't understand this trite two-step that cinema is offering right now. Well, why is she doing it? Because she's up for re-election in 2024, and she wants to, you know, be uh, exactly what she said. I'm untethered. I'm postpartisan. <laughs> I'm a solutionist. Who believes that? Who believes that? Uh, apparently, some Republicans do. It's remarkable to watch. Uh, let me uh, try this thought experiment. If okay. the Barack Obama reference doesn't work, and if you're so have like so little institutional memory that you forget the race that she ran against uh, Martha McSally uh, four years ago, you forget who Kristen Sinema was. She was a joke. She is a joke, and now she's somehow a towering figure in the Senate. This is the mythology-making of politics. She was ridiculed, including by you, Amy, with her thigh-high boots upon her swearing-in at the Senate. I know. I mean, come on. Nothing screams look at me more than that. Well, that's what this is. This look at me and also in 2024, yeah, okay, so uh, Arizona Democrats won close races uh, this time around. She's up in 24. Who knows what the national landscape will be? Who knows what sort of weight Biden will represent around the necks of Democrats running in 2024? And she wants to distance herself and then sort of recast herself as this independent-minded problem solver. Really? Okay. Um, there's another independent in the Senate doesn't who caucuses with the Democrats. His name is Angus Young from Maine. Um, center right voters, Republicans, please uh, tell me what what's your favorite legislative measure, or even vote offered by Angus Young, the independent member of the Senate who caucuses with Democrats and votes Democrat. What is the difference? The same thing you have here with cinema, but she's sort of I, there's a, a bit of a cause celeb and her and Mansion and. You know, standing athwart the five trillion dollars in funny money and saying, you know, we will only accept three trillion. And this is heroism in Washington, D.C., at least even among some on the I mean, at least, uh, of course, the establishment, including even some on the center right who should otherwise see through this artifice. Listen to Kristen Cinema on the border issue. Good example of her positioning. And I mean, this is like so transparent. It is astounding to me that anybody buys it and frankly doesn't see this as the sleight of hand that it is and actually offer less respect to cinema for this effort to get one over on Arizona voters. That the federal government has failed its duty in the last 40 years. Not just Democrats. Not, it's just everyone. The federal government has failed here. And places like Arizona, front lines of this crisis, have been paying the price every single day since then. So for us, this isn't just a talking point of team A versus team B. This is our life every day. The reality is, is that when folks say, you know, We've got to just provide a legal path to citizenship for dreamers, which I support wholeheartedly. 
These kids are Americans in all but name. So when folks say we've got to do that, I agree. And when folks say we've got to secure the border, of course I agree. You know, my state is suffering from the failure to do so for 40 years. So this is a perfect example of why I'm so frustrated with partisanship that has gripped our nation and the parties are pulling folks away. It's not either or, it's and. Both of those concerns are real and valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a Democrat Let me ask you a me. question, Senator Sinema. Um, uh, but for the lack of border security, would we have dreamers? But for the lack of border security, would we have dreamers? This is a simple question. What's the answer? No. Right. So uh, how about this, since you're a solutionist? And we know one failure led to a myriad problems, including people in this country brought to this country illegally. Yes, through no fault of their own. I got it. I understand what a dreamer is. But but for a lack of security at the border, we would not have dreamers. That's just, you know, cause and effect. So how about to show how much of a solutionist you are? You just sign on to a comprehensive border security plan. So the federal government abides that responsibility. You say both parties have failed to abide for four decades. How about you prove that? And then we'll get to addressing the effects of a cause you still haven't uh, ameliorated. No, 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 because we because it's got to. Oh, we got to. Yeah, no, no. Scam, scam every single time it's run. Why do political hacks like Kristen Cinema? Why do they run it? People have short memories. There's a pigeon born every minute. The same scams work over and over and over again. But this is a straight-up scam with her looking towards 2024 for her own interest. That's it. Period. Full stop. Frank Arlington Heights. Good morning. No doubt it's a scam. However, I would say that the most important thing that the um, both of these parties' elites um, want to convey to the bourgeoisie American people is that they hate them and they do this by being unserious and showing them that their government is unserious and look at all the examples cinema she's an unserious person Fetterman we elected him we elected Biden the whole Griner for uh, bout um, trade that we did that was unserious that was just unseriousness it shows that their government is unserious and that's what they want to do they want to show all of us that that's that's what they think of us all of this stuff and and you know running a business and starting a business is bourgeoisie it is all these different things that you know that we do they hate so and they hate us and so they want to take all this stuff away from us and be unserious and even take our government away from us and show us that this is what we're going to do we're going to insult you nonstop, and and this is just another example of it thanks that, for the call frank uh, it, the reinvention of uh, Kristen Cinema over and over again as she has spent the last 20 years running for office. I mean, she's never done anything. John Fund has a good piece in the journal about it. Uh, Kristen Cinema didn't always seem like a moderate. She ran for the Arizona House in 2002 as a member of the Green Party, 
calling herself a Prada socialist. The next year, she spoke at an anti-war rally clad in a pink tutu. And now she's complaining about the bitter partisanship in D.C. She hasn't changed at all. And she's voted with Biden 93% of the time. Give me a break. And please, since our audience is mostly center-right, please don't fall for this. Please don't encourage it. Please tell people this is a transparent scam that should insult you. Not something you should say, oh, we're welcoming Kristen Sinema to the camp of the independents. No. She's a double agent. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on Fox News Sunday yesterday with Shannon Bream sitting in for Martha McCallum. There's a Martha McCallum who sits in for Shannon Bream. I, I don't know. No, it's Shannon Bream got that show. So Shannon, Shannon Bream's show Martha now. Martha McCallum is sitting in for Shannon Bream. Okay. They sort of uh, like fembots, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so Shannon Breen was sitting in for herself, <laughs> and uh, she interviewed John Kirby. Uh, of course, the couple of topics of conversation, but one of them being Brittany Griner's prisoner exchange for Victor Bout. And, uh, of course, this is uh, the, 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 the question that continues to be batted about in terms of who you believe, if anyone. Was it a choice between Griner or Whalen? And here is Kirby's response again. There was never a choice posed uh, by the Russians. Well, hey, you give us boot back, and then you can decide whether you want Brittany or Paul. That, that was never uh, the arrangement. It was only Miss Griner for Mr. Boot. They treat Paul differently, Shannon, because of these sham espionage charges. He is put in a special category by the Russians. Uh, and try as we might, and believe me, Shannon, we did. Right up until the very end, we were making efforts to try to get both of them out. Uh, there was just no way to get there. So it was either make this deal now and at least get one of them home and keep up the efforts to to get Paul home. And that's where we are right now. 
Nobody over at the White House is doing backflips of joy that he is uh, walking the streets. But this was the deal we could get. Now was the moment we could get it. We're obviously going to look after our national security going forward. And Mr. Brute has choices to make. And if he chooses uh, to get back uh, into that line of work, then we're going to do everything we can to hold him properly accountable, as we have uh, in the past. We did a national security assessment. Uh, we believe that, the, that, the, that, that whatever risk there is uh, was manageable and OK to, to make this deal. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, oh, last yeah. part about the, the risk being manageable and okay to make the deal, the national security assessment, those could be words that come to live in infamy. We'll see. But uh, never a choice between Griner or Whalen. Uh, this was the deal we could make, and so we made it. So sort of two separate things. One, again, if you believe Kirby in the White House position that they didn't have a choice, and two is even if they didn't have a choice, was this the deal to make, Griner, for boot? I like what Mike Pompeo had to say, former Secretary of State. The Trump administration was always very clear. We weren't going to trade bad guys for celebrities because it creates the wrong incentives for the bad guys. I mean, it was a bad deal, and it makes America look weak. And that's not just uh, Republicans saying it. Bob Menendez, uh, senator from New Jersey, who was on the Senate Intel, said effectively the same thing, that uh, uh, Victor Bout, free and reunited with his pal Vlad, means... Um, less security for Americans overseas in particular. And that would include those men and women in uniform, too. Uh, something else that Bream brought up, though, and this hadn't been discussed. I thought this was very interesting. What about Mark Vogel? Mark Vogel, the teacher, who was taken into custody by the Russians on charges similar to Griner, actually less offensive than Griner because it was medical marijuana that he had that was prescribed by a doctor for a medical condition he had. It wasn't just the joy of smoking dope that uh, was why Brittany Griner was taken into custody. What about him? Why couldn't you get him out? I want to ask about Mark Fogel because he's a U.S. teacher. He, he's taught in Russia for, I think, more than a decade, roughly a decade or so. He was taken into custody in August of last year, also coming through an airport there, had uh, medical marijuana with him that was prescribed by a doctor because of injuries and surgeries that he's been through. He's been sentenced to 14 years. He obviously doesn't have the name recognition or the celebrity of a Brittany Griner, but he's been held on similar charges for longer than she has. Why wasn't he part of this conversation or this deal? There's a, a limit in, in this particular case uh, about what I can say publicly. Uh, I can tell you we're obviously mindful of of course, uh, but there are some constraints here in terms of what we can say uh, uh, publicly. Uh, I, I could just broadly say uh, that when it comes to wrongful detentions uh, of Americans around the world, overseas, whether it's Russia or anywhere else, uh, we're going to work as hard as we can to, to get them home. Maybe the question shouldn't be, was it Whalen or Greiner? Was it Fogel or Griner? Or did Fogel's name ever come up? Was that ever something that was discussed? So I don't understand John Kirby's position. I can tell you that it was not a choice between Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner. I can talk about Whelan's status, but I can't talk about Fogel's. Why not? If you can talk about Brittany Griner's status, if you can talk about, well, that's obvious she's free now, if you could, but if you can talk about Paul Whelan's status and what you did or didn't do, what the deal on the table was or was not. Why can't you address Mark Fogel's status? I don't get it. Do you? 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. We couldn't have got uh, two civilians. Yeah, you know, yeah, the Marine is accused of espionage. We couldn't have got two civilians charged with similar crimes, you know, marijuana. We couldn't have got them off for Victor Boot. It seems like the least they could do. And, and Kirby went on to say how the, the Griner Boot exchange is going to help them in the future, you know, how to deal with the Russians. We're more informed. We have a better sense of the context here, where the Russians' expectations are, and we're just going to keep working at it. Yeah, and they're going to get it done, Dan. Think people are going to pay attention? Uh, yeah, the Mark Fogel thing. I can't wait to talk to Jim Carifano at the top of the 7 o'clock hour when we tackle this subject again. I'm so glad that Shannon Bream brought that up. What a wonderful example. That certainly complicates the conversation about the basis to make the deal. You know, James Carville is uh, running around Serpent Head saying, oh, the only reason Republicans are opposed to it is because she's you know, a black, a black gay yeah, female. Well, no, and we're not opposed to her release, of course. Uh, the reason we're questioning the deal was, did you make it because she's a black gay female? Mike and Wheaton, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, Dan. Hi, Amy. Um, I just wanted to comment on, uh, you know, the information about uh, us being similar to Russians. Um, I was able to study in Moscow in the summer of 1979. And before I went there and I went through uh, Concordia University of Montreal, we had extensive briefing on what to do and what not to do and what to bring in and what not to bring in. And um, I want to also say that in the university I was studying and the students were very much interested in learning about freedom and democracy and liberty. Um, and at the time, this was very interesting to me because when I came back to the United States, our universities were teaching about communism and Marxism. I want to let you know that they do have hotels that are for tourists, and that's where Bernie Sanders and his uh, wife were at. I was in the university hotels, which were totally different, and got to see a totally different uh, Russia than what, it, what Sanders is portraying. Most importantly, is that we do have a common aspect in terms of wanting to be free. I think that's innate to all people on this earth. And uh, thank you for talking about this. Bye. Thanks for the call, Mike. Were you able to take in any of those reasonably priced puppet shows that Bernie Sanders <laughs> prattles on about? Um, as honored guests, we were studying, uh, Amy, we were studying physical education, sports. We were honored guests of the, of the country. I did get to see quite a few things that most people wouldn't see. Um, I get to, I did get to spend some time inside the Kremlin. Uh, that wow. At that time, that was preparation for the 1980 Olympics, which what a huge mistake President Carter made in not going there because the Russians were very much interested in having thousands of Western uh, Western citizens coming to their country to tell them about uh, freedom and democracy. And, uh, you know, what a shame uh, that we were not able to go in there and, and, and present that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got to see quite a few things that were quite a bit different and talk to many people that was different than tourists would see when they go to Moscow. Uh, thanks for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, Victor Boot uh, sat down very quickly. He's back on land. Let's get him in front of a camera. Let's get uh, former uh, Russian honeypot that was over here 
Maria Bettina, who's now a uh, apparently a host for Russia Today. She interviews Victor Boot about his time. Yeah, he was in and, jail for 11 years. Uh-huh. And um, he expressed great empathy for the United States uh, after what he learned while he was in the can. Every, you know, American I met in a prison who is uh, from rural area was very easy to deal with. He has no problem with Russia, and he was curious about Russia, despite all propaganda. They're losing their Christian values. They're losing their families. They're losing literally their countries. It's not anymore the same country. We knew America, who used to be a model for the entire world, and lead and be an example, you know, like they say, a shiny town on the, you know, sparkling town on a hill. And this is, of course, pity. It was a strong country who was really a, you know, industrial might, you know, this one. And look, for 30, 40 years, deindustrialization, drug problem, crime waves. You can understand, and I feel more empathy to American after this experience than I would feel any hate. Oh, of course, Victor Boots' heart bleeds for America. Isn't that wonderful? I think this is propaganda. Oh, uh, you, you think? <laughs> yeah, right. So, you, wait, you're the same guy who uh, spent your time while you were a free man, sort of, trafficking in arms to foment or help uh, ex- escalate conflict the world over, including and especially when it came to opportunities to arm enemies of the United States, so they could kill Americans. Your, his heart bleeds for America. Sure. Uh, obviously, this is propaganda and should be tra- everything from Russia today should be treated as propaganda. Everything from this guy is propaganda. Meant- oh, he gets us. Oh, yeah, he he sees the same thing we see. He is parroting a legitimate discussion and a legitimate problem in the United States, a series of legitimate problems in the United States, to pretend like he's on somebody's side, like, oh, you see, even Victor Boot gets it. Oh, the Russians, they're not so bad. Oh, the oh, he doesn't want to do us harm. I mean, come on. Who buys this stuff? This is, a, this is a, you know, almost as bad as Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> who buys this stuff from of these people? people? Do. Did you forget who is talking when they offer the, the, these these canned aphorisms, oh yeah, godless Russian atheist KGB officer, very concerned about the plight of Christianity in America. Sure, I okay, I'm naturally that. born not to be enemies, and whenever there's conflicts, it's elites. Yeah, mm. here's the only thing that was truthful uh, about that Victor Bout said in that little interview that's being bandied about online. And it speaks to who he actually is. Most important thing that happened in global events, Vic, while you were in the can, what does he say? Maybe international. 2014. Oh, okay. Why? Well, it's, I guess, uh, would be in a history as a turning point. It's a turning point of Russia. Finally, stand up out of the knees. Proud, strong. 2014. You get the reference, right? The invasion of Crimea. That's finally Russia. This is the beginning of 
well, not the beginning, but the extension of Putin's revanchism to reestablish the motherland, Russia, great again, strong again, getting up off its knees, as Victor Bout said. And he also said in uh, comments that he would happily volunteer to fight for Russia in Ukraine if he could. Completely supportive of the invasion of Ukraine. Of course he is, because he's a Russian nationalist because he's a KGB communist, because he's an international arms trafficker. Oh, my heart bleeds for America. Honestly, that is so pathetic. That wouldn't even make an episode of The Americans. That's how uninteresting uh, Victor Bout's commentary was that is being you know, poured over the world over. Why? Tom in Blue Island, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, similar to our triple threat here, Brittany Griner checked all the proper boxes. And so the idea that Paul Whelan was going to be any part of any kind of deal is ridiculous because her intersectionality had to take primacy over any kind of attention that getting Paul Whelan out would have garnered, I guess. Thanks for the call, Tom. I, I mean, again, I, I can believe because as we heard from Paul Whelan on Friday, if he gave a phone interview to a CNN reporter, he he described how he is treated differently than other Western right. prisoners in Russia. So I, I can believe what John Kirby is saying. And for those who don't say, well, NBC reported and then retracted. Do you believe NBC? <laughs> Do you believe NBC is reporting generally? So don't. It, how many times does, does this have to be said? If you don't trust the source, then don't trust the source all the time. Not just when the source reports something you don't wish was true or you don't suspect is true. Be skeptical all the time. Yeah. And by the way, Miguel Almaguer, who did the Paul Pelosi story, still off the air. Oh, okay. Well, I'm uh, saying that he uh, reported the truth and they yanked it. And what, so well, you shouldn't trust well, we, them ever we again. Don't, we, I, 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 st- I don't trust that either. I don't trust Paul Almaguer's reporting. I want more evidence. It's just this is just his assessment of information he has, some of which he presented and some of which he didn't. Okay, well, it's the same thing with NBC News. Oh, there was a either or and then they retract that that was incorrect and it it wasn't an either or Uh, John Kirby. He's been lying for the administration on a range of topics. Offering this fork tooth commentary that you heard here, like, for example, his punting on. You heard here, I mean, from his appearance yesterday on Fox News Sunday, including his punting on Mark Fogel. So I don't uh, give any unqualified trust to John Kirby either. But Paul Whelan, the actual source, and then just the logic of the position, I think it's plausible that Whelan is being treated differently. And so the question, because the crimes are different, status is different, Marine is versus a basketball player, different. That that, you know, stands to reason. But so so this is why I say don't get all wrapped up in Whelan or Griner when there's no evidence to support that claim. At least that's been publicized that I'm aware of. Um, But other questions about standard setting should be asked. Standard setting. Why Griner and not Fogel? That's a same level sort of deal. Um, What is the philosophy? What was the basis to make this deal since this deal, absent Paul Whelan, is so lopsided? 
What's the thinking behind it? And when John Kirby offers a throwaway line, as he did on Fox News Sunday, oh, he only had seven years left in his prison sentence anyway. He's going to get out in 29 or, or yeah, six years, I guess now. Uh, well, what, 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 so it, I, I'm, not, I'm sorry. What is the standard that you're articulating? If uh, a prisoner in an American prison has X amount of time, then that is factored into any prisoner exchange we would do with that prisoner how what's the difference between four six eight ten life you know explain it to us that's what we should be pressing for dan and amy chicago's morning answer hear about the big stories of the day then talk about them right here on chicago's morning answer on am 560 the hey business owners is your business and money in good hands does your bank invest in your success hi mike gallagher here letting you know that when you need a relationship bank signature bank makes commercial banking personal I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, an incident that happened at York High School in Elmhurst has been brought to our attention. It's the uh, subject of a change.org petition, which nearly 5,000 people have signed. It's, uh, there's a video associated with the incident that's circulating on social media. It doesn't really work on radio, but the upshot of the incident is that a student at York High School has Down syndrome was pushed down on the floor in the bathroom by another student and then there's a group of students that are gathered in the bathroom and they're like laughing and uh, jeering at him and then he gets up the student with Downs who was pushed down he gets up and like retreats to a stall It's, uh, it's disturbing I'll tell you that the uh, change.org petition. Yesterday, a student with Down syndrome was violently physically contacted in a York High School bathroom. Not only was he physically attacked by several students, but others watched and laughed. This has occurred numerous times at our high school and surrounding schools that turn a blind eye to bullying. We, the students of York, feel compelled for immediate radical change for the better with appropriate, cir- with appropriate consequences. We're hoping the administration recognizes the situation and finds consequence fitting as such we are sick and tired of this mistreatment huh. sounds like it's not a one-off at least according to this change.org petition drafter as students of york it is pathetic to see our peers being so mistreated 
We need reform in our school now. We need bathroom reform in terms of supervision procedures and accountability. I don't know what that means exactly. We need a safe learning environment for all students. We need more education regarding empathy, bullying, harassment, etc. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. This sounds, um, I mean, the video uh, is distressing and infuriating, frankly. Um, did we ever find out what happened in the Heaventon, Heaven Washington beatdown case in Lyons Township? Did we ever get a resolution on that? Western Springs no. police ever weigh in on that? Lyons Township parents, you ever hear from your school about how they handled the matter of Heaven Washington? Remember when we talked about it, this was a girl that uh, was targeting another girl, uh, laid in wait for her when she got out of class, pulled her by the hair, threw her to the ground, and gave her a beating such that she had to be hospitalized. Uh, and we couldn't ever get an answer from the school or the local police about what, if anything, they were going to do about Heaven Washington. And I wonder if that was ever resolved. I guess my reason for bringing that up is sort of the same thing that this petition seems to indicate, that for all of the high-mindedness of love and tolerance, and particularly in the leafy suburbs with all the residents who sport their hate-has-no-home-here signs in their front yards and are good little sentimental barbarians. How could these sorts of incidents be happening when you have one philosophy and one political party in charge of the kiddies, both at home and at school? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. How could this be happening? It's barbaric. I don't know what's wrong with people. They've lost all sense of human decency for others. But especially you know, a, a kid with Down syndrome, really? You, you're laughing at that, you sick, perverted you-know-whats? The, the thing about the video, um, and again, it's only 30 seconds, so I don't know that it captures everything that occurred. But from the video itself, enough occurred to say um, that, you know, the pushing the kid down and then laughing at him, seeing him retreat to a stall, and uh, nobody nobody steps in, sort of the, right. the madness of the mob, which, by the way, is not limited to groups of young boys, as we have seen during COVID and continue to, uh, the madness of the mob. But, um, yeah, I just, the, the nobody rallies, nobody rallies anymore. There was one kid who maybe seemed to be, like, standing over him when he was pushed down, like, to try to stop it, to protect him. It's it's hard to make out exactly, but um, that this has to circulate in this way to draw the attention of others, including the administration. And then, you know, you get the pro forma uh, message from the, the school district superintendent, Keisha Campbell, not a doctor, but District 205, she uh, offered this long, drawn-out statement. I've been in communication with the principal of, Bagdazarian about the incident on Friday the 9th, and many students and families have reached out to us, and so on and so forth. We're deeply disappointed and saddened. This won't be tolerated. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, the immediate and overwhelming response from the York community is a testament to the fact that the actions of a few do not represent the entire school. Blah, 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 blah. Sincerely, Keisha Campbell, superintendent. I just, you know, for as much as we talk about uh, schools and the lack of um, 
academic heft and the substandard academic performance uh, and, of course, the politicization of the classroom. The Just the conversation about what kind of people are being developed in these totalitarian re-education camps. What, like the character, in addition. I understand that there, we're not in the business of teaching, teaching uh, reading and math anymore. I got it. Okay, no problem, because I was taught reading, math, and science, so I'm good. So you don't want to teach your kids reading and math and science? No problem. It's fine. Good, good for you. Um, but just in general, the character of the kids, too, I wonder. Maybe this is just like old fuddy-duddy back in my day. I don't know. I don't know. But when you have these sentimental barbarians in charge of the schools, I suspect what you're going to produce is more sentimental barbarism. That's just sort of... Uh, drawing an inference from what I see as the power structure, what I see in terms of the curriculum, the way they talk, the responses to incidents like this. I just don't have a lot of confidence. Maybe I'm my skepticism is misplaced. Please correct me if it is. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Chris Barrington, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan and Amy. Happy Monday. Um, we, uh, we're out here in Barrington, and we had this student, and he had all kinds of bad stuff on his social media. And we were, it was reported, I'm not real sure if he was kicked out of Barrington or he transferred, but just the other day, he was, he's in Hoffman Estates High School, and he was on the interweb beating kids with a water bottle. I don't know if you all seen that, a metal aluminum water bottle. So, I mean, they they were warned. I don't know if he was just passed on and nothing was said and the kid was attacked or, or if they knew about it. But, I mean, these kids are kids are nuts, not the same kids we grew up with. No respect, that's for sure. Y'all have a good day. Thanks for the call, Chris. Well, there was a lot of kids growing up, uh, even uh, in my cloistered life in Wheaton and at places like St. Mike's. And There's a lot of kids that didn't have respect. There were some kids that had problems. I mean, this is every generation. It's not like there was a, a perfect set of kids two generations ago, and now they're all animals. There's uh, always some animals. Yeah, uh, but our animals would have stopped that and jumped in to help him. Um, some would. My high I think. school. Oh, yeah. Some would, I think. Uh, but, you know, the the implication of, like he just said, too, uh, this kid that was at Barrington uh, causing trouble, and then the, now he's seen beating kids with a, a metal water, bo- water bottle in Huffington Estates or something. Um, I don't know if I was a parent and something like Heaven Washington happened at my kid's high school or this incident happened at my kid's high school that that's caught on video subject of this petition, uh, uh, you know, pushing around a kid with uh, disabilities. I don't know. I, I'd take an interest. I'd like to know what exactly what exactly happened arrested uh, or suspended or something. Yeah, well, right. Who was the responsible party and what happened to him? I mean, because um, the, the schools seem to be mainly interested in covering their ass, mainly interested in talking to lawyers, not talking to parents. And we just had, you know, this nationally uh, renowned and, and disturbing, notorious case that we talked about last week, the case of Scott Smith's daughter in Lowndes County, Virginia, who was sexually assaulted by a student that was transferred from one school to the other 
I think unbeknownst to most of the parents, after he had committed a sexual assault at the previous school, then he goes to this new school, he sexually assaults Scott Smith's daughter, and he can't get an answer from the superintendent and the school, subject of a grand jury investigation that has now led to the dismissal of the superintendent in Loudoun County, but that's about it. I mean, in addition to, obviously, criminal charges against the kid right. who has now been convicted of sexual assault. Yeah, but after the first sexual assault, he just got a hand slap. Well, that's what I'm reassigned. saying is, so, so, I mean, that's why I say, say you know, like, I, I'd be interested to track what happens in terms of b- b- beyond the, you know, pro forma press release from the superintendent. What, what actually happens to uh, individuals who are identified as responsible, uh, just as, like, Heaven Washington Alliance Township, just as the, the kid that uh, sexually assaulted those girls in Loudoun County, you know, just as we would ask questions about adults who abuse their authority in schools. And we don't ask even enough questions about that, the incidents of sexual misconduct and other misconduct by adults in the school systems particularly the government school systems, because the government press corps protects the government school systems. And we're supposed to treat everything as just a one-off. Everything is a, is a bad apple. Uh, and uh, we're supposed to buy this rap, like you heard from the superintendent. You know, the response indicates that uh, the bad actions of a few is not representative of the many in our wonderful community. Eh, your community ain't that wonderful. I hate to break it to you. Uh, you know, if you could stop patting yourself on the back about how your community for five seconds and just address the issue at bar, uh, that'd be helpful. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And Dan, our people are texting and they want to know how they could see this video. I'll, t- I'll tweet it out. Okay. I'll tweet it out at Dan Proft. Uh, some concerned parents sent it to me. Um, and... <sighs> I'll take a couple calls. Ron Carroll Stream. Hi, Dan and Amy. Hi, Dan and Amy. Good morning. Um, you know, you Dan, you were talking a little while ago about how the math and reading stores are just miserable. Well, why? Because they're teaching all this gender insanity. How about we test them on gender insanity, and they'll fail miserably at that, too. You know that. Thanks for the call, Ron. Um, you know, and the, the other thing, too, about the safety of teachers, we don't talk about that. I mean, it's been we've talked about it a few times, but the uh, lack of ability to discipline kids on the other side of this equation. Oh, yeah. Um, and and CPS teachers who get beaten up don't want to speak out because then they're going to be like ostracized by the teachers union or they're they're somehow they're somehow traitors because, you know, the most important thing is to protect the system. That's all attitude that I find so unnerving about any big government bureaucracy, but particularly schools because they're so important. Protect the system. Don't worry about the individual kids. we got to protect the system at all costs. It's like, it's like Roger Goodell's protect the shield, you know, protect the reputation of the NFL. So sweep the Ray Rice thing under the rug. Same thing here. Protect the system. Protect the school's reputation. Protect our community standing. Don't worry about the kids. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe I'm extrapolating too much from uh, the anecdotal, but I don't think so. Tim in Woodstock. Hi, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I don't know how this could happen in the first place because they've got uh, bullying, no bullying signs or the word yeah, bullying. Yeah, they've got signs up. It. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and they put, tam- you know, tampon machines in the boys' bathrooms to, to make people just more sensitive right. to everything. But, um, you know, my, my thought on it was – whatever happened to the concept of some immediate justice. 
I mean, when I was in high school, if this got around, there, there'd be kids going home with a, with a bloody nose, maybe a broken nose. Um, these kids aren't afraid of any kind of discipline that these uh, checklist administrators are going to, um, you know, have, have come the, come their way. Some immediate justice would be um, called for here in a situation right. like this, and that, that's what's wrong with our culture. Thanks for the call. To, yeah, right. What are they going to do? They're going to send me to a class uh, uh, that te- talks about how, how not to be a bully. Well, we take those classes already. That's all we do. We talk about bullying this and what's a, you know, words are violence and blah, blah, blah. I, I have to go to those classes anyway where you just double down on them. OK. And he's right, too, about, you know, that there would be sheepdogs in some of these schools, at least, that would say, oh, really? You're going to pick on that kid? Now now, now, try and pick on me, which is exactly what should happen. That'll be more of a, a lesson to those kids that participated in that attack than anything you're going to get from these educrats carrying on about themselves and their community and their school and, you know, all their processes. Absolutely right. Matt in South Bend. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thank you for taking my call. I, in reference to my kids who have been graduated for about a decade and a half, back at the time of orientation, they're suspended. So that takes out anything of offending anybody else and even your own rights. So oh, it's like the like. Thanks for the comment. So like the anti-Good Samaritan, Matt, saying he cut out there for a second. Like they're told, like, if you get it, there's a fight and you get involved and you get suspended, too. Well, you know I what? I'd be willing to be suspended. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's where mom and dad say, look, if you see somebody getting picked on like that, like what if, if this would be a teachable moment for the kid, if you see somebody getting picked on uh, in the bathroom like happened at York High School or you hear about it, then you help the kid being picked on. That's what I want you to do. That's what you're going to do. Or you're going to be in trouble with me, and that's going to be much worse than the school. Yeah. Well, this is, and this is, to, that's the, my point, too, about these, these administrators and superintendents and so forth. You know, we have processes and we have zero tolerance this. And so what we don't have is any common sense. And what we don't have is any balls. We got everything else, though. Phil and Darian. Hey, good morning, guys. Listen, we're talking about test, test scores and math and science, none of that's important, right? I mean, we all know that. What's more important is uh, the color of your skin, gen- gender identity. The other caller said they would fail on that. No, no, they would get flying, flying passing colors on the gender identity and uh, white people suck and uh, black people oppressed all these years and, uh, you know, uh, reparations and, and so on. So come on, guys, that, you know, that's, more, that's what's more important here. Have a nice day. Thanks, Phil. Kathy Joliet. Hey, good morning. Um, my office is in the middle school, and I stay out of the halls on passing period. But one day I was in the hall, and this one kid sitting on a chair coughing really bad. And uh, all the, you know, physical gyrations. And I went up to him. I said, are you okay? And he just was coughing and coughing. And I said, do you want me to walk you to the nurse? And then he looked up at me and he goes, no, I have malaria. And I go, really, Malaria? I said, well, you should be dead by lunch, and I walked away. I was like, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to retire. I hope I make it. I swear to God, these kids are off the hook. They're running the asylum, and and I've been in in the field for 20 years, and I'm here to tell you, it's taken a 
drastic swing as to who respects who. And I just, I'm not kidding you. I can't even, when that kid did that to me, I was like, okay, you're getting it right back. I hope, you know, you're going to be dead by lunch. I might drop and I walked away. Thanks and, for the call, Kathy. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, at York High School, this is York High School. This is Elmhurst. Oh, oh, heavens. Oh. This is a wonderful bedroom community. Oh, no. Oh, these are successful people. Huge homes. Uh, oh, yeah. Familiar nice. with their work. I see all the noblemen. I spend a lot of time in Elmhurst. I see all the noblemen and magistrates uh, enjoying dinner, all the wonderful restaurants, and so on and so forth. These are uh, all the all the Lululemon moms and you know professional dads. Uh huh. Yeah. What's going on? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka, today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. the morning, Dan and Amy. I've got mixed emotions about uh, Tony Fauci's, de- Fauci's departure from the scene just because I love that Five Times August song so much. Oh, no, it's so yeah. good. I watched it again this weekend. Yeah, yeah uh, his, this is the longest departure of anybody leaving said office in a while. He's been well, on he's, a goodbye tour for two weeks. He's going to depart, and then he's going to be back because he's going to be back before House committees once good. Republicans take control on January 20th. Uh, Elon Musk uh, tweeting out, you know, Elon Musk has a... Uh, bit of Donald Trump in him. I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, really? Tweeting out, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> uh, I, it's interesting. I wonder if um, the Twitter files will soon turn their attention to Tony Fauci in some in some way. I don't know. Tony Fauci being involved in uh, communicating with Twitter like uh, federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies were i don't know i don't know we don't know yet the third and fourth installments were released uh, over the weekend first matt taibbi had the third and then michael schellenberger had the fourth and they both revolve around the decision to ban donald trump from twitter but before we get to that i mean just sticking on fauci for a moment yeah. because he offered this fairly well op-ed in the new york times of course he did of course, <laughs> of course they gave him a platform yeah whatever you want sir Who's going to replace him, by the way? Nobody. Yeah. That's what I was waiting for you. He to is. Uh, Nobody. I mean, it's you like Michelle Obama me. at the University of Chicago. Yeah. She leaves. There is no replacement fitting for her, so we just eliminate the position. Maybe they could do the same thing at NIH. I don't that would know. Be perfect. Mm-hmm. He has a message to um, the next generation of scientists. Sure, as the grand poobah of science, as science itself, you'll recall. That's right. He is science. Uh, He uh, said, I'm confident the next generation of young physicians, scientists, and public health practitioners will experience the same excitement and sense of fulfillment I've felt as they meet the immense need for their expertise to maintain, restore, and protect 
the health of the people around the world and to rise to, to the continued unexpected challenges they will inevitably face in doing so. Wow. Inspired. So profound. He is, there's <sighs> nothing, he is nothing if not profound and uh, humble. I mean, despite the I am science uh, descriptions, you know, setting those aside for a moment. Yeah, he's uh, very humble. He's just been so honored, so humbled to be showered with uh, all of the plaudits and cash and CNN and MSNBC interviews and so forth. Uh, he wanted to make sure he summarized it for the record in the New York Times, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly grateful. Um, by the way, just on the topic of COVID, since it won't go away, since we're in forever COVID, thanks to no small part to Tony Fauci. Eugipius, <laughs> who's a substacker blogger, um, I read, pretty good on COVID, um, points to Christina Berndt. Who's that? Uh, she's a, a German scientific journalist. And um, as uh, Eugipius writes canonical plague chronicle villain uh, warns against ending mask mandates in Germany lest people get the flu or something else. Oh, God. The virus is at its weakest ebb, and, you know, of course, that's when you need to be careful. When it goes away, that's when you really need to double down. In the past few weeks, case numbers are lower than they've been in a year, so the desire to abolish mask mandates on buses and trains is fully understandable, but this is the worst possible moment. Children's hospitals are overloaded. Influenza has returned with a vengeance. Nursing staff are at their limits. Rates of sick leave are higher than ever before. It's undeniable the importance of corona has decreased considerably. Nonetheless, don't stop thinking about masking. Masking. Or tomorrow. Social distancing <laughs> and the like. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I watched the Chicago School Board meeting via Zoom, and they still have. Every they have one seat, Dan, in the gallery that's open. Everything it's like a crime scene. This and this isn't, you know, November twenty twenty. This is, you know, December twenty twenty two, and they're still not. So that's a form of silencing parents, don't you think? They can't participate in school board meetings. I mean, well, they take a few via Zoom. You know, caller nine, you're you're go. It is yourself. If, those, if those meetings weren't. Uh, you know, Potemkin in nature to begin with. I mean, those meetings are without point. Like a quadruple homicide in there. I'll tweet out the picture. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and one of the reasons uh, that we're in forever COVID, forget long COVID, think about forever COVID because that's the approach. A uh, good piece in the journal about this. I mean, as we've talked about and as you know, but it bears repetition so you understand why things are continuing the way they are. The battle over work and welfare. The Biden administration is using the pandemic to expand the class of Americans who are permanent government dependents, particularly on things like Medicaid. Um, you know, this is something that the Democrat socialists in Illinois effectively did over the years. Uh, actually, if you recall, most do not because it was all about the Senate seat. One of the articles of impeachment against former Governor Blagojevich, was his illegal expansion of the Medicaid program. Not that anybody really was upset about it, but it was just something else to throw into the mix. And it was illegal, and it was an expansion, and Medicaid is the largest single uh, budget item in the Illinois state budget. 
and we went from one in five Illinoisans being Medicaid eligible pre-Obamacare to probably at this point now north of one in three with a combination of Obamacare and the expansions under the you know, pandemic rules. And that is two things. One, it's unsustainable, like our unfunded pension liabilities. But secondly, more importantly, it creates an expanded class of government beneficiaries who will be more inclined to vote to continue with the leadership that provides these benefits. It's pretty straightforward. You know, like these, these are masterminds at work. Not really. They're just good at creating dependency and shaming people who would suggest that this is bad policy or that people who are able-bodied shouldn't be Medicaid eligible. They should be at work. Um, but, you know, that's mean. And so they're nice, and I mean, and that's the difference. And that works, I guess, in some states like Illinois. But there's a fight going on at the state level. It's really interesting. For example, Georgia just won a lawsuit against the Biden administration um, that would prevent them from opposing work requirements to for low-income, able-bodied adults in order to be Medicaid eligible. And this is one of the points of argument that is going back and forth at the at the state level that's occurring at the state level between states that are sensible and states like Illinois that are not and the federal government. So something just to understand what why why the continued see, uh, you know, d d declarations of emergency and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's the power of the individual. But don't just look at the politician. Look at what the politicians doing. It's the power of the executive Paul to incentivize dependency among the masses such that the executive Paul expands his base and his party's base, which is what Democrats do. Connecting all of the dots. Uh, one other thing on this, too, particularly as China is moving to relax all of its uh, COVID, not all, some of its repressive COVID, quote-unquote, uh, measures, uh, Elisa Finley had a good piece in the journal over the weekend as well, uh, reminding us who cheered on China's COVID repression. Um, the Lancet in March of 2020, China's success rests largely with a strong administrative system that it can mobilize in times of threat, combined with the ready agreement of the Chinese people to obey stringent public measures. Oh, yeah, the ready agreement of the Chinese people at the point of a gun. Lancet didn't include that. Mm -hmm. Western countries, the Lancet. Now, this is the British Medical Journal widely respected, on par with the New England Journal of Medicine, also widely respected, at least pre-pandemic, and much less so, much less so post-pandemic. They also, the Lancet editorialized that Western countries must follow China's lead and abandon their fears of negative short-term public and economic consequences. Uh -huh. Yeah. And there were others in this country, like, Dr. Eric Topol, one of the leading COVIDians, Scripps Research, remember him? Mm -hmm. Top-sided public health scold. China, with four times the population of the U.S., was able to flatten their curve. He, uh, our lack of learning from a region that was hit months before us is striking. Those are the words of leading COVIDian Eric Topol. How about now, Eric? And um, at uh, what price? Even the Fauci's and the Burkes's and the Francis Collins's and the 
uh, Rochelle Walensky's, we're are loath to criticize if they're not outright cheerleading. They're loath to criticize Chinese communists and these uh, feckless and repressive COVID measures. We were talking last week with um, uh, experts in uh, Chinese politics and how few uh, of the residents of China are vaccinated, how few have gotten COVID because right. of these stringent lockdowns. So low vaccination rate plus low natural immunity spells perhaps a long winter for the Chinese people at the hands of the Chinese communists. And the last three years have been long for all of us, in part because the sort of dissent you're hearing more of now was repressed. And this brings us back to Twitter and what we talked about on Friday, which was installment two of the Twitter files. The the uh, the blacklisting the quote-unquote shadow banning, and worse, the, um, was that, I forget the terminology they use now. So many but, different terms. Yeah, but changing the visibility, changing the visibility of particular accounts and particular tweets. One of those accounts and tweeters was Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a friend of our show. He's been on many times. Epidemiologist and economist, Stanford Medicine one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that called for a more balanced approach. This was his description of the impact of Twitter's repression. I mean, I think um, a lot of the leadership of Silicon Valley, a lot of the, a lot of the people who uh, give advice to Silicon Valley and to the government about, uh, about these content moderation policies, they've gone f- way too far. It's one thing to suppress to suppress violent threats against people as absolutely appropriate, but then to turn around and then decide that they're going to suppress discussions about basic scientific policy. Uh, I mean, I wasn't saying anything that was threatening people other than maybe Tony Fauci and not not physically, just his ideas. We needed to have a discussion, an open scientific discussion about the right policies for COVID. Imagine how different the, that all the small businesses mm. could stay open, all the people that wouldn't have missed their cancer screenings, all the kids that wouldn't have to be depressed and suicidal, that, that all the learning loss that could have been avoided if we just had an open scientific discussion. This was not a free and fair kind of discussion. It wasn't science that happened. When we followed the, the science, it was not actually science we followed. It was something else entirely. It was censorship. That, that I think led to the tremendously bad policies we've had over COVID and the failure that we've seen over the last three years. And thank God, Dan, for you and for this show, or else there was no place for anyone to go that had, you know, differing opinions and that believed exactly what the doctor just said. And I'll tell you, I don't, uh, I don't trust Elon Musk, but I certainly uh, appreciate what he's doing thus far with Twitter and with the oh. Twitter files. And with the purging of former executives at Twitter who were responsible for what Jay Bhattacharya was describing, uh, one of them, Yoel Roth, who we've been talking about for uh, the last week, um, who was – this is, this is so perfect – who was the head of trust and safety. Oh, you know, he was writing point on a lot of these decisions re- related to visibility adjustments, related to – uh, suspending and banning accounts Re- related to repressing the Hunter Biden story. He suggested he disagreed with it, but he went along with it. Well, Elon Musk on Saturday tweeted out his, parts of Yoel Roth's PhD thesis. Uh-huh. 
in which Yoel Roth, the head of Twitter Trust and Safety, argued in favor of children being able to access adult Internet services. Like, so um, gay children could act interact with gay adults is what he's essentially getting to. Oh, that sounds lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers, Yoel Ra- oh, Roth asked in a question. Uh-huh. Um, and this is from Salon Magazine. Remember, this is the main streaming of pedophilia. That's the next frontier, perhaps the final one before civilizational collapse. Um, yeah. Uh, this is from the Annenberg School of Communication at uh, Penn State University, apparently is where Roth got his Ph.D. A Fox News producer reached out for comment on the thesis um, and has not gotten a response as far as I know. Uh-huh. You awarded a deviant named Yoel Roth a Ph.D. Please respond to the below inquiries by Monday at 5 p.m. Well, that would be today. Uh, your school awarded ex-Twitter head censor Yoel Roth Ph.D. in comms for his bizarre attempt to intellectualize his experience with a gay dating app, Grinder. In his dissertation, Yoel Roth suggests that Grinder should be made available to people under the age of 18. Before Roth completed his dissertation in, on Grinder, Roth posted numerous sexually charged and disturbing public tweets concerning young people, like the one that I just read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's other bizarre ones, too, but the overriding point, not what's the, the, the overriding point stands. Again, he's the head of trust and safety. He's the content moderation guy. PhD in communication, so that's a nice credential. What's your thesis on? Sex with minors. Gross. <laughs> I mean, can you... I, I, Christmas again, dinner conversation. Again. You can't make this up. Impossible to parody. The left is impossible to parody. They're even worse than you think. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And um, in advance of uh, our next guest, our friend Jim Carafano joining us for our weekly conversation with him. You know, Amy, he's a West Point grad. So you got to go see the most amazing game ever. How was it? uh, Yeah, my first Army-Navy game on Saturday in Philadelphia. It was was great. It was fantastic. You know, football is secondary. um, But uh, it turned out after three and a half quarters of three yards in a cloud of dust turned out to actually be a great game with a great finish first overtime game ever between the two teams which i found a bit surprising since they play since the games are usually pretty closely fought double but overtime? uh double overtime win for the uh i was looking for you the in the stands. yeah uh-huh um and you know it's it's just cool to be there because we got there at like um 11 o'clock for a three o'clock game because i'm with i was with a bunch of um alumni, uh, many of whom had kids that are now at West Point, um, because I was with the Army side, actually. Good man. But um, but anyway, 
Um, so you get to see the march on and all the the various army companies, and then you know, correspondingly the, the midshipmen, and um, just the whole thing. And then watching and listening to the the young people that are uh, students at the two academies talk and sort of bust each other's chops as well and stuff. It's just like everything that's good about sport and our men and women in uniform was on display, I thought, on Saturday. It was so much fun. And after that, you know, very tough loss for the Naval Academy because uh, they were going in with the go-ahead score and uh, the quarterback fumbled on – maybe it was on the quarterback. But there was – anyway, fumbled on the one-yard line and that gave Army the opportunity to kick a field goal and win. Um, so tough loss. Uh, the cadets rush the field after Army wins because it's been a minute. And um, but then immediately there's you get organized and the respective academies sing their respective. Uh, I don't know what to call it. School songs, for lack of a better description. And so you had Navy go first because they lost. But then all of the Army, the cadets that were on the field as well as football team, just like was sat, you know, stood respectfully while they sung their song, and then. The Naval Academy returned the favor. I mean, it's just it's like that's it was like that's true awesome. sportsmanship. Yep. Everything about sport and how you're supposed to have a friendly rivalry where you bust chops. I heard a lot of semen jokes about uh, the Naval Academy. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, but there's respect and that respect is displayed and, you know, they're there for a larger purpose. And that's also conveyed. The only thing that ruined it was having to endure people like uh, General Milley and General Austin. Uh, as part of the pregame show on CBS. And, but anyway. And President uh, Biden was a no-show, right? No, no-show. I remember when would, Trump came and it was just electric in Pandemonium, there. yeah. Yeah, no, they uh, got word to the big guy that maybe he wouldn't be received quite as warmly. So anyway, that's uh, all a run-up to our conversation about uh, about the game. Sure, if he wants to talk about it, it's his privilege as a West Point man. And uh, all these geopolitical issues we have to discuss, like the prisoner exchange. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, VP of the Catherine and Shelby Cullen Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation, author of Brutal War, Jungle Fighting in Papua New Guinea, 1942. Congratulations on the W, Jim. Yeah, so I'm a little jaded because all four years I was at West Point, we, we lost uh, all four years. And actually, I had a winning football team the whole time I was there. So, hey. Um, what can I say? Uh, so, I, you know, it was what you just said was very beautiful and very kind and very mm-hmm. true. And, and I hate you know, to make this political, but to, to not not to be too nostalgic. What's tragic is these institutions, like many of our military institutions, yeah, are are under assault, um, and they are just targets. For you know, which we generally call just woke. This notion of we're just going to recast every American institution the way we want them, and it's and it's having a demonstrable effect in the military. Since the 1980s, has been the most respected institution in the U.S. government, maybe one in the country, and respect for the military is dropped from like 70 percent to like 48 percent. Just precipitous drop. Recruiting's down. And it's a reflection of of trying to impose political agendas on top of the selfless service of men and women. And so, I, you know, I watched the show actually with a bit of sadness that all the things that we loved and value in watching in that sports contest are essentially under assault. 
Yeah, and uh, that was definitely a recurring topic of conversation among the uh, the the men and women, the moms and dads I was with, who range like forty five to fifty five. So it's not that far removed, and yet it seems so far removed for a lot of them. Yeah, look, you know, watch what's going on in Ukraine, and and, and I'm just back two back to back trips to Europe and Central Europe. And this notion about loving freedom, fighting for it, recognizing that, as Reagan said, the loss is only a generation away, and having people of, of steel and courage and grit, that these are good things in your society, uh, and that you're not going to just vanilla your way out of every problem in the world. And and if, and if anything, what we've seen is these, these agendas, which are about saying, well, we want to be Give everybody a shot. We want to be equally. All it's first of all, it doesn't do that, and second of all, it just becomes a mechanism for people to really to exploit other people. And so, it, 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 it's a double evil. It's not only will it not work, but it's actually just become a cover for people to decide who gets power and who gets money. And uh, it, it's it's kind of sad and frustrating to me. So actually. You know, like you, I, mean, I watched the game and I got caught up in the last minute. It was very, very difficult to watch this. Watching an old Western, and then even as you're cheering for these, you know, the, the wagon train to get through, or, you know, the guy to survive in the gunfight, you know that that's a world that 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 is not here anymore. It's gone away. I don't want that to happen in military academy. Yeah. Uh, all right, I wanted to get your take on, uh, of course, the uh, much-celebrated prisoner exchange of Brittany Griner for Victor Boot, um, and specifically what uh, John Kirby has been saying on behalf of the administration, um, and there's much skepticism about this. That's why I want you know, somebody with your experience to weigh in, uh, whether or not it was the only deal that could get done, and this is the only time it could get done. Did they? Do you believe them when they say it wasn't a choice of Whalen versus Griner, it was Griner for Bout or, or for Boot or nothing. Well, I'm always a bit reluctant to criticize these things because you don't know the backstory. And the backstories are usually super complicated and difficult. I mean, I've, I've, even, I've known people who are chief hostage negotiators, and every one of these things is worthy of a novel and all other kinds of things. So uh, second-guessing them is a bit problematic. But, mm-hmm. you know, here, here's what I think we can say the information we know publicly. First of all, it tells us nothing about Russia. The fact that they did this deal is, you know, Putin is, doesn't mean, oh, we're going to have a more reasonable Putin. Like I said, there's like two back-to-back trips in Europe. Nobody thinks that Putin is ready to negotiate in Ukraine. Actually, I, I laugh when I see people saying, well, we should force this or that or whatever. And it's like, dude, Putin's not ready to negotiate. So you're, you're basically negotiating with yourself. Um, he is still the evil murderer. I, I don't want to give up on my mad dream, Scott. That's one. The other thing is, is what, what, what's been missing from this whole thing is how the Russians look at it from Putin's perspective. The first thing is, is this is Putin's way of saying to all his fellow oligarchs and murderers that, look, I take care of my people. They're just like the mafia. Like, I got, my, I got this guy back. If you're on my team, I'll take care of you. On the other hand, if you're not, they'll just throw you in America and let you rot in jail. So from Putin's perspective... This is this makes him look stronger. 
The other thing, and I look, I, this isn't about grinding her bio or her lifestyle or anything else, but this is the way Putin sells us to the Russians. Look what the Americans value. They're willing to give me somebody that I've used to kill them because the most important thing for them is a basketball player with a rainbow lifestyle. This is, these are weak, corrupt people mm-hmm. and a threat to us. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of downsides here uh, in the middle of a war with the Russians. Now, having said that, look, I, I, you know, I, everybody should try to get American citizens home. Uh, I think Trump brought back about 50. The difference was, as far as I can tell, is Trump gave up nothing. In almost every one of those cases, it was, don't you want to do this favor for me? Because if you don't, I will pound you with a baseball bat. Um, well, he's a good negotiator. Well, what, what's, going to, what's it going to take to get Mark Whalen back? Paul Whalen. And Paul Whalen, excuse me. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, uh uh, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, quite honestly. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't. Like, the other thing is, it's not about nobility. Look, I mean, I think Waylon, obviously, is not the sharpest tool in the shed that he got himself in the situation that he that he did. Having said that, neither was Reiner. Um, so it's not about the nobility of the person. But we have an obligation to bring every American home. Bergdahl, we an obligation to bring home the whole. I mean, the difference was, is, dude, you gave up basically the leadership of the Taliban, who eventually, by the way, engineered the destruction of the country when Joe Biden left. So, I mean, there are deals and there are deals. Well, and then, and of course, they realized, for example, the Bo Bergdahl deal. Nobody will uh, trace back the consequences of that deal um, to uh, offer even an assessment with 2020 hindsight so it'll be bo bergdahl and for the taliban guys that you've never heard of and we got bo bergdahl back victory and it's the same thing here we got griner back and when uh boot is reunited with his pal vlad and he goes off to arm uh individuals to kill americans or he goes out to escalate conflict in africa and elsewhere uh then nobody will trace back and say well these are the implications of the deal you met you made when you freed that guy yeah, I mean, I th- you know, there's a look. I mean, obviously, you want to do good by the individual, even people that did stupid things. And I think at the Whelan case and the Reiner case, the one thing in common is these are two people who did stupid things. Um, having said that, it's an obligation to get America back. On, on the other hand, you have when you do these deals, you have to think about all of America and every American. And this, to me, gets to kind of a fundamental problem with the leftist way of rule. Because, you know, fundamentally, it's all about power for them. And, and the way you get power is you make some people happy. But that's always the expense of everybody else. So, you know, Biden does the, you know, the Infrastructure Act or the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's we're going to take money and make some people happy. But that's always the expense of taking money from every American taxpayer. Uh, we're going to give student loans. We're going to make some people happy. But but again, it, you're you're punishing everybody, and you're making them, some people happy just for the purpose of essentially somehow you think that that will contribute to you seizing and holding and never relinquishing relinquishing political power. Well, something else I want to get your reaction to here in terms of like the standard setting. What's the frame of analysis we use to 
weigh the competing interests and make a determination on something like a grinder for a boot. And so uh, Kirby was on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream yesterday. And for, set aside Paul Whelan for a second. Oh, Paul Whelan's treated differently, uh, charge of espionage. Okay, fine. That's plausible. What about Mark Fogel? What about Mark Fogel, she asked him. I want to ask about Mark Fogel because he's a U.S. teacher. He, he's taught in Russia for, I think, more than a decade, roughly a decade or so. He was taken into custody in August of last year, also coming through an airport there, had uh, medical marijuana with him that was prescribed by a doctor because of injuries and surgeries that he's been through. He's been sentenced to 14 years. He obviously doesn't have the name recognition or the celebrity of a Brittany Griner, but he's been held on similar charges for longer than she has. Why wasn't he part of this conversation or this deal? There's a, a limit in, in this particular case uh, about what I can say publicly. Uh, I can tell you we're obviously mindfulness, of course, uh, but there are some constraints here in terms of what we can say uh, uh, publicly. Uh, I, I can just broadly say uh, that when it comes to wrongful detentions uh, of Americans around the world, overseas, whether it's Russia or anywhere else, uh, we're going to work as hard as we can to, to get them home. So that's an apples-to-apples case, or pretty close to one, with Griner. And Kirby's happy to talk about Griner. He's happy to talk about Waylon, what was and wasn't on the table. And then he just punts Fogel altogether like it wasn't even a consideration. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe we didn't even factor him into the discussion, and he can't say that because what what would that look like? But didn't you? I found that to be a very troubling answer. Yeah, you know, I, this actually reminds me of the discussion that we just had about West Point and why you go there and what it all means and do you own a country and you know, I was always taught the hierarchy of values because you're always making decisions in, in which you can't get to an outcome where everything is good for everybody. And somebody's going to have to pay the pain here. And what they said is, is you have a hierarchy of responsibilities. The first is, what is the best interest for the nation? You know, and then, you know, what's, what's best for the Army? Well, what's best for your organization? What's best for the individual? And, and obviously, you want to do things that satisfy all those things. But if you can't, you start out with, What's in the best interest of the nation? And you make sure that that gets done first. And then you go down from there. And you always put yourself last. You never do what's best for you, right? Because that's the whole nation of selfless service as you are serving others. And so you do everything, and then if it, you know, and then you take care of people if you can. And then, but if, if you if you listen to that answer and you listen to what what Look at what the president did. It's not articulated in that way, and it and it doesn't sound like they put the interests of the 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 nation first. What it actually sounds like is they put. I mean, I mean, this is the way it comes across: is what's politically good for us is the most important thing, mm-hmm. and then and, and that is taking care of this individual. And you know, what about the rest of us? What about the, how? And of course, you know, this because every time you make a hostage exchange, is a question of. Are you just encouraging more hostage taking or are you showing weakness and putting more people at risk? Right. But this really kind of smacks of this is a political hot potato. I got to get this off the table. And then and then not only do I get off the table, but people, you know, I'm going to claim claim it as a victory and try to look good. That's the way this comes across. So whether they intended it or not, what you know, what they've done is exacerbate the divide of this nation. We're a 50 50 country. Half of us don't trust this these guys at all and the problem is is everything joe biden has done since day one is to feed that 
and, and not only feed it, but not care about it. And, and the notion is, well, how can you rule a country if half the people hate you? And the answer is, just make sure the other half win all the time. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, VP of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation and author of Brutal War, Jungle Fighting, Papua New Guinea, 1942. Jim, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Yeah, it could have been a, that could have been the name of the Army Navy. Right. <laughs> Jungle Fighting? Brutal War. Brutal War, thanks, yeah, that too. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM five sixty. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Former Navy SEAL Chris Beck. Served in the Navy SEALs for 20 years in special operations teams, including SEAL Team 6. Through 13 deployments, he received more than 50 awards and medals for his service, including the Bronze Star with Valor and the Purple Heart. He became a national figure a decade ago when he announced, Chris Beck did, that he was becoming Kristen Beck, trans, transitioning. He uh, spoke out against Trump's trans ban during Trump's presidency. Well, now he's saying that he was used by the media and psychologists to normalize allowing trans people in the military and to popularize the issue, much to his detriment. He uh, gave an interview with a commentator named Robbie Starbuck. Uh, This is... You're going to hear from Chris Beck and his now fiance Courtney, about what happened. Transsexual turnaround. The former Navy SEAL who lived as a transsexual for the last 10 years says he's no longer trans. Appearing on the Robbie Starbuck show, Chris Beck, formerly known as Kristen Beck, suggests he became transsexual in 2012 because he suffered from adjustment disorder and wanted to get rid of the caveman he had become. I had some trauma, you know? And now I'm walking into our psychologist's office, and one day, one day I had a letter in my hand saying I was transgender. I was authorized hormones, I was authorized all this other stuff. Just one hour with a VA psychiatrist, and Beck began the transgender transition. Beck is a highly decorated Navy SEAL who served in the military for 20 years. He told Starbuck that he parroted the words that he was told by psychologists and liberals who profited from his gender dysphoria. He likens it to brainwashing and says he was told he could make millions of dollars. He and professor of psychiatry Anne Speckard wrote the book Warrior Princess. Beck explained that groups gave him awards for simply walking into a room. They'd tell him how courageous he was. Really? I guess coming out as trans is more courageous than facing down the Taliban in Afghanistan or al-Qaeda in Iraq. Although Beck became transgender after his military service, liberals used him to help advance their agenda to impose transgenderism on the U.S. military. The thinking was, if a former Navy SEAL could become trans, then why couldn't trans people serve in the military? 
Beck warns parents against giving their children hormones or allowing them to undergo gender reassignment surgeries. He says it's all about protecting the mental health and well-being of our nation's children. And he urges parents to do research and examine data from Sweden, where sex reassignment surgeries and treatments have been going on for years. And now these children that did this really young, they're getting older now. And what's happening to them now? What's the suicide rate? What's happening to them now and what are they looking at in their life? I look back on my life and I see how I destroyed everything in my life that was holy. The temple of God, our bodies, what we have here. We're hurting our kids. Kids are dying. And I don't want that to happen. It's killing me because I helped do that. CNN and how they used me. Part of my image is, is hurting these kids. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years is just, it's just horrible. They destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself. But I had some help. He sure did, and so have others suffering from trauma or gender confusion. Beck says thousands of gender dysphoria clinics are now popping up around the country. And suddenly, transgenderism has become popular. A multi-billion dollar industry has been created. Folks, parents need to get some common sense here and put the long-term health of our children front and center. Like Planned Parenthood profiting from abortion, we now have a whole new industry making big bucks from hormone treatments and surgeries that alter the sex of our children. Beck rightly mentions 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, I mean, that's the Christian Broadcasting News summary of it with clips from Chris Beck talking about uh, the last nine years and where he's at now, which is detransitioning. His fiance Courtney, went on to say, transgender ideology is cultish, and it's not science-based at all. They take that innate human desire to want change and want to help people, and they use it just like a cult leader would. The parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us, them. They don't want to be othered. So they're using the children as these trophies, like, look at me. I have a child that I'm accepting of. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. You're not going to get a better case study or, frankly, a better you know, three-minute summary of what's happening than Chris Beck and now what Chris Beck has to say after transitioning and detransitioning. Yeah, but do you think anybody's going to listen to this? Any parents are watching this? I hope so. Second-guessing what they're doing? Well, they were watching They were watching him when he announced on Anderson Cooper that he, Chris Beck was becoming Kristen Beck, and he was celebrated. I mean, I guess, you know, this is in part the responsibility of people who um, see the dangers in this cult as uh, Chris Beck's uh, fiance calls it, and uh, are chronicling the stories of kids who are being used either as trophies uh, or as oh, Mr. Potato Heads for money by the medical profession. Um, I guess it's you know it's our response. People like us, our responsibility to amplify these stories and make sure that we get them shared with as many people as possible for consideration. Why wouldn't you listen to Chris Beck? So if you can listen to all these stories of all of the 
the you the wonderful drag queens who are paragons of love and virtue and and uh, ambassadors of tolerance if you can listen to all that pablum from the left but you can't listen to a former navy seal you can't listen to a navy seal who you listened to when he was transitioning but you won't listen to him when he's detransitioned you can't listen to all of the other stories that we've shared and will continue to share but that didn't have uh much celebrity associated with them uh, you know I guess you just have to hope that some people will listen. I mean, for example, we have another offering from Chloe Cole, who is becoming one of the more more outspoken uh, anti-trans advocates. We've play, brought you her story before. Uh, here's Chloe Cole at a Redlands, California municipal board meeting addressing their uh, pro-trans zeitgeist and using herself as a cautionary tale, as she has before, including on Tucker Carlson's show. It's actually Chloe, but um, first off, there are only two genders. Sex and gender are synonyms. Sex is immutable and binary. People with disorders in sexual development or intersex people are not a shield for your perversion. These are fundamental biological facts. You can call it bigoted or fascist or violent, but it's a universal truth. Our school system should be in service to the truth. Schools are not a place for you to practice pseudoscientific ideology. Affluent parents can homeschool, but disadvantaged kids are forcibly sucked into the gender cult in public school. Most parents are none the wiser because the institutions in this community endorse grooming online chat rooms like the Trevor Project, which encourages a lack of parental consent. But what happens in the best case scenario, say the child is supported by her parents. Is transition the right solution? If a transgender child exists, I was one of them. I am a former trans kid. I was born female, but at the age of 12, social media influenced me into believing I was a boy, and I began my social transition by cutting my hair short and wearing clothing from the boys' department. When I came out, I was met with love and support from my family, but my mom and dad weren't sure what to do, so they confided in a team of medical professionals. My therapists and physicians decided it would be best to immediately affirm my identity and allow me to medically transition rather than letting me be a kid and explore without mutilation and sterilization. My parents and I were never told about the high desistance rate among children who identify as the opposite sex. Just several months after I was diagnosed with dysphoria, I was put on blockers and testosterone. I was 13. My body was mutilated by an ideological cult before my 16th birthday. I looked like any other boy my age, and I genuinely believed myself to be one. I would never have guessed I was wrong until I had surgery and I was faced with reality. I realized that deep down I was always going to be a woman and I wanted to be a mother but the ability to breastfeed my future children was cut off at 15 years old. And on top of that, I've experienced complications from the blockers, testosterone, and surgery that will go on to affect my reproductive and overall health and my sexual function as an adult. My breasts are gone forever, and what is left is unhealed grafts and massive scars. It's only a fraction of what you promote. Redlands, as a community, needs to stop embracing harmful ideology and cult-like mentality that leads to children getting hurt. The $11 million you paid to the seven middle schoolers sexually assaulted by your teacher could have gone to better your community. Instead, you've enabled this reprehensible behavior by sexualizing your schools. You paid a large monetary price, but I promise that the children have and will continue to pay a much higher price. I know this myself.
I know I have. Thank you. Mm-hmm. People gonna listen to Chloe Cole, kid who went through it. I I don't know. I don't know who people listen to, but boy, that's gotta gotta hit home. Uh, the combination of uh, both Chloe Cole and Chris Beck's fiance calling it a cult. Uh, Chloe Cole's personal experience and what she inflicted upon herself. Uh, Chris Beck's what he inflicted upon himself, and and uh, then allowing himself to be used as a tool for the. Lavender Bund and their media handmaidens. He said he was forced to write a book called Warrior Princess with his psychologist. Uh, and then the, I mean, you know, force, I mean, he said he's not a victim. These right. are choices right. he made. He was an adult. But he um, was. But you can sympathize with the terrible choices regardless. And something else, too, that the fiance said, Chris Beck's fiance, parents holding them up as a trophy. That, that's that got to hit home because I think especially like the celebrity types, the Charlize Theron's, you know, I'm going to my uh, three year old is going to choose their identity and so on and so forth. Look at me. Look at this. Look at look at this trophy I have. I look at how cool I am as I'm the enlightened, affirming ally parent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Until, you know, the kid gets a little older after. You put him or her through this process of, uh, you know, psychological conditioning and leading to mutilation, well, multiple and then surgeries. all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, they change their mind. And she can't hey, breastfeed a baby ever. I was wrong. So for those who just you know want to blindly throw in because whatever Junior says is the final word, well, Junior saying one thing today, and he may be saying something ten years from now. And you may wish you were a little bit more skeptical. You may wish you provided a little bit more pushback and uh, a, a little bit broader uh, net when it came to reaching out to people to help with the conversation if somebody's struggling with their identity than just to go uh, whole hog in the direction of whatever Anderson Cooper and Don Lamone have to say that night on CNN because you may find a child that really resents your lack of parenting. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro. Text line, Joe, Glenn Ellen. Hey, Dan and Amy. You know, this segment made me realize I would love to see data on how many adults versus children are going through this whole transition, you know, with the medical hormone therapy, because that right there would tell you that this is being pushed on children i don't know if there is data that shows that yeah it's an interesting i i don't have it offhand i'm sure there's it's got to be out there somewhere but that is an interesting question to sort of try to gauge the social contagion piece of it not that i mean kids it's not that adults are completely immune from social contagions hardly but that probably a little bit more resistant than kids and so yeah, it would it would be it would be interesting to see the disparity. Yeah, thanks for the call, Joe. We'll see if we can put that together. Pat Lockport. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, you know, I'm just so sick to death about this. What do you identify as? As a parent, what the hell is wrong with these people in instilling your children how to identify? How about identifying 
as a Christian, as an educated person, as a person with morals and ethics, and to be thankful to God to be created the way he created you. He does not lie. He does not make mistakes. And these damn fools, Dan, like you say, who flap these babies around as trophies, makes me sick. It is a sick cult. And what is being done to these kids is unconscionable. I have had doctors on much lesser issues in my lifetime whom I have told to go to hell in a handbag because their approach and their ideas were so damn stupid it was beyond the pale. I don't know how much damage is going to be done to these innocent babies before these damn fools wake up. And it's even more egregious to listen to a physician talk about the financial lucrative aspect of this type of lack of education and mutilation. I'm sorry to sound so emotional, but it's sickening. Thanks, Pat. Uh, John Libertyville. Good morning, Amy and Dan. Yeah, I just wanted to call. You, you, you talked about celebrity people with, you know, using their kids as trophies. The first person that came to mind was Marie Newman with her son that she now calls a daughter. But uh, I wanted to ask, do either one of you guys know, are they providing top and bottom surgery at Chicago's Lurie Children's Hospital? I, I have heard there were, there were mastectomies going on there with children. Uh, where else is this going on in our own backyard? Thanks for the call, John. I don't know. Uh, Lurie's has a whole gender clinic, so I the whole I, wing. Yeah, I presume they're doing it. They have, have there's all sorts of propaganda on their website uh, that is LGBTQIA compliant. Um, so I assume yeah, it's so. Called the Gender Development Program. Yeah, it's pr- probably outpatient fun- services and mental and social health of youth as they go through their gender transition. So they're they're engaged in it at some level, whether it goes all the way to the surgeries, I don't know. But I'm sure that's funded in part, if not in total, by Je- uh, Jennifer Pritzker. Rick Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. I still think it's as simple as just asking the very basic question of what if two years from now you change your mind. But it seems like all these people do is they clap their hands and nod their heads in excitement and never ask, but what if this, you took this turns out not to be a great thing two years from now. What are you going to do about it? And nobody ever asked that. If they did, maybe some people would not make that decision and their life would be fine. Thanks for the call, Rick. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Elizabeth Grace Matthew writes at The Hill, thehill.com. I've been a college-level writing instructor at several universities, ranging from an elite Ivy League institution to middling state schools for more than a decade. Most of my students have been bright, hardworking, and ambitious, but most of them could not reliably construct grammatical sentences. Writing instructor at Ivy League. 
institutions, she wow. said. <laughs> Educational experts who purport to know what is best for children have long presided over increasing illiteracy and innumeracy and a widening achievement gap. It is interesting. <laughs> It's very much like the fiscal conservative who can't stop spending, the educational expert who can't improve the quality of the educational outputs. It is worth noting. The inability to write at what was once considered a fifth grade level is now the norm among students of all socioeconomic backgrounds, races, and ethnicities, she writes. It's also the predictable result of the overemphasis on self-expression at the expense of excellence that has been driving the decline of American K-12 through and higher education for decades. And her, her uh, point is this. If we don't get back to the idea of mastery of subjects, she writes, first, the mass, that a mastery of subject or skill is recognizable and worthy of praise. Second, the discipline of mastery is not the opposite of creativity but a prerequisite for it. If we don't get back to that core philosophy about education – then school choice won't matter much. All this fight for school choice to give kids education, kids you know, relegated to government school systems that have failed them and previous generations for quite some time, it won't matter much if the choices between an institu- between two institutions that are are equally or substantially equally failing their students. In other words, they have the same philosophy because so many of these pernicious philosophies in government school systems have migrated to private schools, haven't they? We've talked about that a lot over COVID, and I'm not just talking about COVID policies, but critical race theory, indoctrination, the sexualization of children, the uh, lessening of standards that she's speaking about. What does it matter getting the kid out of the local neighborhood school in Chicago to uh, a private Catholic school if the private Catholic school is going to be on the same program? For more on this and other topics, couldn't think of a better gentleman to uh, discuss this with than Ian Rowe, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center, and author of Agency, the Four-Point Plan for All Children to Overcome the Victimhood Narrative and Discover Their Pathway to Power. Ian Rowe, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan, it's so great to be back with you and those numbers are just sobering and everything she's saying is absolutely correct and and you and the woodson center are working sort of in in advance of what she's describing needs to be done i mean you've developed your own curriculum in in part in response to the uh, 1619 project but but tell us you know your the four-point plan that we've talked about with you before but also sort of the effort to get a new curriculum and, by extension, a new philosophy implemented in some of the schools that do provide choice? Sure. Well, yeah. And also just to step back, just to give even more you know, color to the things that she's talking about, it's not just writing, it's reading. You know, the National mm-hmm. Assessment for Educational Progress, which is also known as the nation's report card, just released data in 2022 that says only 32 percent of all American kids of all races are reading at proficiency levels at fourth grade at eighth grade. It's 29%. You know, why would we expect kids coming out of a K to 12 system to be effective writers and readers and mathematicians in college? And then why would we expect them to, to flourish once they get to uh, the workplace or, you know, other, other functions of young adulthood? 
And so, yes, what she's saying is that we have a real crisis, that we need to a, a back to basics focus. And those numbers are across race. I mean, yes, there are disparities, uh, you know, in the black community. This is nationwide. There, it's only 17 percent uh, proficiency amongst black kids in reading at fourth grade. And amongst whites, it's better. It's 42 percent. But still, that's more than 50 percent. In fact, in the entire history of the nation's report card, there's never been a year in which a majority of white students are reading at grade level. So this back to basics approach in education is crucial. And so what my work with the Woodson Center and, and for, your, for your listeners, I also run schools uh, in the heart of the South Bronx here in New York. So this isn't just theory for me. I see what happens not only when there's a lack of school choice, uh, in the district in which we just opened up a school, only 7% of all kids who start ninth grade four years later end up graduating from high school ready for college. That means 93% of kids start ninth grade and either drop out or they do earn their high school diploma but still can't do math nor reading uh, without remediation if they were to go to high school. So this focus, particularly in the early grades, have what we call knowledge-based curricula that focuses on mastery. You know, the, the, a, a lot of, um, if you look at most elementary school curricula over the years, uh, uh, it used to be that you had social studies, like history, five days a week, science, five days a week. Now, if you look in a lot of elementary schools, particularly in urban areas, you might have social studies or history once a week for 45 minutes, maybe twice a week, science once a week. So that rich content, the content of mastery, is replaced by a lot of sort of empty, what we call content-free curricula, which is about the main idea. It's kind of vapid content. So as kids are sort of crossing grade to grade, they're not building a mastery of knowledge and vocabulary. And that's what I think, thankfully, there's a realization, the science of reading. And again, this is not just for black kids. This is across all races. We have a reading crisis in our country and all this drama around critical race theory and all this other stuff is a huge distraction. And it's, it's important to say that COVID had a huge, uh, and all the lockdowns associated with it, had a huge adverse impact on reading outcomes. But believe me, this was an issue well before COVID. Well, why do teachers pass the kids along knowing that they are not proficient at their grade level in math and reading? Well, you know, the concept of social promotion, you know, it should be a crime. You know, in places like Decatur, Illinois, they just released some data, something like 2% of the black kids were reading at grade level. Mm -hmm. And yet the approval rate for teachers was something like 98%. I mean, that's fun with numbers. I know. It's just criminal. And so it's, it's easier for the adults just to pass kids from grade to grade to the next grade and not take the responsibility for knowing that this kid is not prepared. We do our students no favors by lowering standards, by pushing kids along. When people talk about systemic racism and systemic discrimination, let's really talk about systemic racism and systemic discrimination, when kids of all races are being passed along, when we know 
they cannot do the material. No, but, but Ian, Ian, we're not, we're not dumbing down. You see, we're reimagining. Uh, we're breaking old shibboleths, for example. This is an English teacher, high school English teacher from a high school in California, and this was something she chose to offer up online on TikTok to explain the linguistics lessons she's embarking upon with her high school students. As an educator, I am constantly worried if I am part of the problem. What do I mean by that? Well, public education is an institution that upholds lots of problematic systems in our society, like white supremacy and misogyny and colonization, etc. In my role as an educator, I try to undermine that BS in my classroom as much as I possibly can. I teach high school English and whoo, the white supremacy runs deep. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how we write essays. Start with an introduction that includes a thesis. Always cite your sources. Use transition words like however and therefore. These are all made up rules. They're arbitrary. They were created by Westerners in power. In Linguistic Justice, April Baker Bell calls this the language of respectability or the language of power. Which got me thinking, what if I started my school year with a unit honoring how we talk rather than teaching students how to write properly? So this is the start of my series on teaching linguistics in high school. What do you think, uh, Ian? We got to attack bibliographies before we get the kids to uh, learn what needs to be learned. She'd be fired from my school. Well, I know that, but what what do you think in terms of how representative that is uh, of the well, philosophy? I mean, I mean, come on. The, the whole <laughs> idea that the, the whole idea that somehow having to state a thesis Racist. is somehow white supremacy. It 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 it, 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 it it's so it's honestly it's racist unto itself. This teacher doesn't realize, or maybe she does, who knows, but what she's actually saying is so racist that she's ascribing objective standards, like having a thesis, having evidence, having logic, being able to read well, somehow is a function of white supremacy. She recognized that the direct implication of that is she's saying, well, they're there, so therefore, what is black? What, what does it mean to be black? Does that mean absence of evidence? absence of objective standards, absence of having a logical thesis, she doesn't even realize what she is say, saying. It needs to be rejected. It needs to be repudiated. And, and I know that there's a general fear of responding to this kind of nonsense, but it's nonsense. And we all have to have the courage to step back and reject this ideology and focus on things like what I try to do, which is run schools that build agency, that focus on high standards, high expectations, knowledge-based curriculum that doesn't uh, just pass kids from one grade to another. We know how to do this. We're having a conference in Chicago tomorrow at 11.30 at the Chicago Club talking exactly about these issues and how we can improve educational outcomes for all kids where we reject this kind of ideology. So let me ask you this from your perspective, particularly since you're in the space, as you said, running schools in the Bronx and tough areas, you're in the, on the policy front, you're on every front possible in education, basically. And those, these dreary statistics we were just reciting back and forth, why hasn't there been a parental revolt against the way things are done in these schools? Because generally speaking, there hasn't been. 
Generally speaking, there hasn't been. I mean, there hasn't been a revolt. There's been a bolt <laughs> in the sense of more and more, more and more parents are just leaving the system. I think Chicago schools have lost 120,000 kids in the last couple of years. New York City schools have lost close to 200,000 kids. So parents are starting to vote with their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the systems that are left over still are facing huge amounts of dysfunction. And what we've seen certainly with COVID um, and remote instruction, more parents had more direct visibility into what their kids were learning or not. And that's where, you know, I think more and more parents were seeing the implementation of critical race theory in classrooms, gender ideology now, you know, imposing its, its, its way into classrooms. I think the one bright spot, though, is that there has been a greater uh, focus on school boards, more parents saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I, you know, I, I can be concerned with disparities in our country, but I don't want that to mean that you're now telling my kids that he or he is an oppressor simply because of his race or he's oppressed simply because like I don't, you're now you're going way too far. And so there has been an outgrowth of organizations like Parents Defending Education, Moms for Liberty, Fair for All. So there, I think there is one bright spot in that there are more and more parents recognizing, look, they are the first educator. If you look at the election in um, the governor of Virginia last year when you know, the, his opponent said, you know, parents essentially have no right to play a role in their kids' education. I think there is a resounding uh, message against that. And my hope is that even as we head towards these next major elections, that fervor amongst parents will remain. He is Ian Rowe, resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center, author of Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. Uh, he's also involved in uh, the 1776 Project and the curriculum associated with that. And again, uh, Ian, tomorrow you and others having a, a conference on these topics that we've been discussing at the Chicago Club at 1130? Yes. You know, it's all about how to revive. We'll be working with uh, Pastor Corey Brooks from Project Hood, who's just raised an enormous amount of money to build a new community center. Uh, in an area of Chicago that's seen these kind of negative results but is bringing something positive. And, in fact, it looks like they're going to be opening a new school as well. How do we revitalize the forces of family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship as forces that can combat some of that kind of nonsensical ideology that you just heard from that teacher? You know, that is a path downward. That is not a path to upward mobility for the rising generation. And that's what we're going to be speaking about tomorrow. All right. And, uh, gentlemen, if you want to attend that event at the Chicago Club, wear a jacket. It's one of the few civilized yes. places left in Chicago. you got to put a jacket on, so you've been warned. <laughs> Ian Rowe, thanks so much for joining us, as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. of the morning, Dan and Amy. I know, uh, Amy, this is an event, an annual event that's of great interest to you, being a friend to animals big and small. A furries from across the globe, many donning anthropomorphized animal costumes, took over the Hyatt in Rosemont for the world's largest furry convention last weekend. Oh. So d- despite the loss of Boeing and Caterpillar, Citadel, and um, Tyson Foods, um, we still have retained the crown jewel of, yeah, of I remember. business in, in Illinois, business in the nation here in Illinois, and that would be the furry convention. Yeah, I remember a few years ago there was a fire alarm had been pulled at the furry convention. They all ran out in their costumes, and it was quite uh, quite eye-opening, I could tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In their costumes. A lot of furries. Uh, there were escape rooms, virtual reality gaming, writing seminars, art shows, and much more. Most importantly, the convention provided a safe space for a community that finds itself often on the tail end of many oh. demeaning jokes. Let's see what they did there. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, a person who identifies themselves as Storm said, when I was growing up, I felt really alone, and the furry community is what kind of helped me get socialized and find some of the best friends in the entire world. Sure, man's best friend, the furry. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a subculture, that's for sure. Yeah, I wonder if. Uh, oh, by the way, um, this was a, there's a charitable component of it as well. The group, all the furries at Midwest mm-hmm. Fur Fest. If you attended, please give us a call. You can confirm this. The group donated 106 grand, raised and donated 106 grand to Street Dog, which is a Colorado-based charity that provides medical care and other assistance to the pets of people experiencing homeless. So the, the pets. pets. The pets. Okay. <laughs> homeless. With pets, pets will get medical care and other assistance, not so much the owners. Uh, the Fur Fest uh, saying, heroes don't always wear capes, but many wear fur suits. Wow. That's a quote. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I, of course. Have you ever been I mean, to a furry convention? I haven't, but I was in Pittsburgh uh, That's right. That's right. right after a furry convention. Stayed in the same hotel. This was um, before... Chicago, you know, the power structure here with Lightfoot and Pritzker ably managed to lure the Fur Fest from Pittsburgh to Rosemont. Wonderful. I mean, the uh, economic accomplishments know no bounds here. Um, And uh, my uh, Uber driver there in Pittsburgh was telling me how she knows the manager at the hotel and the furry convention wasn't uh, so well received at the hotel because a lot of the furries actually act out as animals. And so there w- was one furry who apparently was a cat yeah. and filled a, a, a dresser drawer with litter, uh, with, yeah. with, with kitty litter, and went to the bathroom in it. Yeah. It clumps. I hope it clumped very well, you know, to make it easier for cleanup. Yeah, this was before some of the innovations that have come to the kitty litter box, too. So, yeah, it was not a fun convention for the. Uh, house cleaning staff there at that hotel. But uh, anyway, uh, other than that, it's all good news. I I like that Chicago continues to be, be a freak show, basically. I mean, not to, you know, pass judgment or anything, because 
as we know, heroes don't always wear capes. Sometimes they wear fur suits. Um, but other than the so that's the obviously that's the positive of what's going on. That's the good news. The uh, bad news is the public sector unions are destroying the state's economy. So, I mean, I don't know how you balance that out. On the one hand, you have Midwest Fur Fest. On the other hand, you have an ongoing exodus of companies and people that is unrivaled in the country. For more on that latter point, unless you'd like to chime in on Fur Fest, it's welcome to. Please, you'd be joined by Ben Weingarten, Deputy Editor at RealClearInvestigations.com. Ben, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, with that introduction, yeah. I wasn't sure if we should go to you know, furry unionization or pet of homeless people unionization or because it's kind of early in the morning to be talking about this stuff. Maybe like hot stove baseball. Is Dansby Swanson going to go to the Cubs, et cetera? <laughs> we might need to get that out of our system. I like the idea that there's not a, a local for the pets of the homeless or for furries necessarily in the workplace, um, perhaps that accommodates their unique identity and charitable giving. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to workshop that a bit more. But in terms of uh, Amendment 1 that passed here in Illinois on November 8th, uh, you point out something that um, most of us should know, although it doesn't seem like a lot of Illinoisans do, that Illinois is sort of an outlier when it comes to public sector union domination of the state and amendment one made it even more so yeah that's right and i thought that this was an interesting issue really at a national level uh, because this amendment one was overlooked i think with a lot of the focus on obviously what would happen in national balance of power in house and senate races and then many of the amendments around abortion but amendment one i think sort of may prove out to be a signal out of the noise of labor pushing back where it can. And obviously, as you all know, the Janus decision four years ago was viewed as something of a death knell or death blow for public sector unions to some extent. And while public sector unions have lost a percentage of employees, their coffers are as full as ever. And what Amendment 1 essentially does is make Illinois the first state in the nation to, via constitutional amendment, bar right to work uh, while entrenching and extending powers to public sector unions that really appear to be unprecedented, uh, namely including not only allowing public sector unions to bargain over normal terms like wages and hours, but quote-unquote economic welfare and quote-unquote safety at work. Those have not been traditionally matters that public sector unions could bargain over. Now they are empowered to do so via constitutional amendment. And based on what we've seen in terms of these labor struggles, particularly with the Chicago Teachers Union in recent years and other teachers' as unions across the country, those terms, economic welfare and safety at work, might well encompass anything in practice. And CTU and other unions were arguing for things like rent abatement and defund the police, no cops, no cops in schools, etc. And now in Illinois, they may well be able to make those arguments in labor disputes with the power of a constitutional amendment behind them. So this may well be a massive power grab for public sector unions, while at the same time, making Illinois via constitutional amendment a non-right-to-work state. And that is a radical shift 
from the right to work push that has continued to grow throughout the country broadly and in the Midwest in particular. Yeah, and the uh, the result of that, including those categories you just mentioned, safety, economic welfare, is it's just going to be that much more costly for employers uh, per employee. I mean, you're just raising the costs of labor because you're going to have, I mean, who knows what you're going to have, but you'll see other union shops look at CTU's demands, some of which you were just ticking off, look at the demands of other public sector unions and other public sector settings and say, well, we want what they demanded as well. The other thing that's interesting, too, and we talked a bit about it on the show in advance of the election, just to give you an idea of where this could go and how quickly it could go off the rails. Um, there's no reason why police and fire, like, for example, in Chicago, can't negotiate to eliminate the prohibition on striking, uh, the residency requirement, things like that. That's right. And the way that the amendment appears to be interpreted, and obviously there's going to be litigation over probably every aspect of this as it's implemented and teachers try to avail themselves of its power going forward. But essentially, once again, is made, it, it can't be diminished is the way that the, the language works out. And so consequently, to your point, the powers will continue to grow. The costs will continue to grow for taxpayers. And as you and your listeners well know, there's already a massive unfunded pension liability mm-hmm. problem hanging out in Illinois that continues to grow and grow and metastasize. And it's been aided in part by federal quote-unquote emergency relief funds in recent years, but those funds will go away and the whole will go greater. And obviously, taxpayers will be on the hook for all of these gains made for public sector unions. And most state constitutions don't touch on labor at all. So how do we get this amended, Amendment 1, gone? Do we have to vote on it again in four more years or is it here to stay? Well, the courts themselves may well be able to neuter some of its more pervasive effects. But clearly the right to work, for example, uh, language in it is pretty ironclad. And so unless and until there would probably be a case, which I suspect would end up going up to the Supreme Court if it did challenge on that ground, you're going to have to pick it apart through litigation absent uh, law that conflicts with it. And then there's some litigation over that law or an amendment that essentially revokes or rewrites the language of this amendment. And obviously, there's a pretty high bar for doing so within the state. Uh, you mentioned the Janus v. AFSCME case. And, uh, of course, that was a case that emanated from Illinois. Mark Janus, former state employee. Uh, and the expectation was it would be a fight, but that you would see at least uh, uh, some significant decline, some attrition in public sector union membership, uh, over the course of time where where you weren't being a force to pay dues for politics you disagree with. Um, and this would cost uh, the public sector unions, you know, in the billions of dollars in terms of their influence over elections at the federal and state levels. And as you were saying, that hasn't exactly materialized. You mentioned uh, these public sector union coffers are fuller than they've ever been. Uh, so what's what's going on? Yeah, you know, essentially the unions themselves, I think, were prepared for there to be a potential mass exodus after Janus. And there has been nationally a you know, meaningful percentage decline in public sector unions and in Illinois as well, uh, I believe a couple points 
in the pre-Janus to post-Janus trajectory loss. Uh, however, at, at, by the same token, unions raised their dues substantially as well. And so they've been kind of able to paper over to some extent the declines and, and really put forth a smart, a shrewd agenda in advance of what was expected with Janus to try and uh, maintain the roles of their supporters. So even though Janus effectively extended right to work to public sector unions nationwide, they have thus far been able to withstand the decline. Certainly private sector union rates are substantially lower across the country and in Illinois specifically, but in Illinois, about half the public sector union workers remain unionized to date. And obviously those unions stand to gain substantial power as a consequence of this amendment. Although they claim in their statements that, you know, essentially this was a defensive move, that this is because there's been right to work pushes in other states, uh, probably likely associated with Janus as well, that that would be a threat to the public sector unions. And so consequently, this is just enshrining the status quo, essentially, within the state constitution. But we'll see if that's how it ultimately plays out in terms of practice when there are labor disputes between public sector unions uh, and their employers, your elected representatives. He is Ben Weingarten, deputy editor at RealClearInvestigations.com. Ben, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.